This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Chapter 10, particularly at verse 13, but we'll start reading in verse 11. We have been this month in a series of sermons looking at texts in the book of Romans from the perspective of Christmas, cleverly titled, A Roman's Christmas. Well, we've looked at how the Savior arrives, as Paul describes it in Romans 1, how the Savior reconciles a rebellious and sinful humanity uh, back to God himself through Christ, how Jesus uh, dies to satisfy not only the justice of God against his people, but to cleanse his people of their sins, to atone for their sins. Uh, Sunday, we looked at how the Savior sanctifies from Romans chapter 6, that Christ doesn't save us that we might continue on our way, but he saves us to be his people, to be his holy people. And having died and been raised to new life in Christ, our lives are forever changed. Well, this evening, we want to look at, from Romans, how the Savior invites And so let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, picture a young couple. They have just gotten engaged, and they are soon to be married. If they're like most young couples, they will spend over the coming months hours upon hours planning and preparing for the wedding day and the wedding service. They will spend hundreds and thousands of dollars preparing for the wedding day and the wedding service. But as much time is spent preparing for the wedding itself, all too many couples fail to spend very much time, if any at all, preparing for the marriage that is to come. So much time, so much money, so much energy going into what amounts to a 30-minute service. So little preparation for what is supposed to be a lifetime of marriage. In other words, they focus on the event, but not the relationship the event represents, and indeed in the case of marriage, begins. Well, far too many people approach Christmas in the same way. Their focus is on the day. The shopping, the gathering, the food. And all of those, like the wedding day and the wedding service itself, are a good thing. 
certainly something to prepare for. But we need to be careful that we focus not just on the event, but on the relationship that that event represents. You see, Jesus invites us to go beyond the mere celebration of a day into a relationship with him, a real relationship with him that lasts for an eternity. Now, as we look at this passage and we talk about Jesus inviting, to be theologically balanced, we need to recognize that from God's point of view, God saves whom he will. God saves those people whom he chose, those for whom Christ died, those whom the Spirit calls to Jesus. But that's the divine point of view. From the human point of view, we make the good news of Christ known to everyone. We invite them to come and to believe in this Savior who himself invites men and women and children to come and to trust in him as their Savior. In fact, we see this balance even in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 9, Paul wrestles with that mystery of God's sovereign election of a people for himself without regard to anything that he saw they would ever do or say or think or believe. And at the same time, his power to uh, place others outside of his kingdom that would be, as Paul describes, vessels of his wrath, objects created to experience the judgment of God. But then Paul just as quickly turns over in Romans chapter 10 and speaks of our making Christ known. How are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in the one of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Has Paul changed his mind? Maybe it's up to us after all. Or has he, is he contradicting himself? Well, no, of course not. In fact, the two complement each other. The two go together. God's sovereign election of his own people and the offer of the gospel to whoever will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what we're looking here tonight is this invitation, this open offer of the gospel that Christ makes, that the scriptures make, and that Christians have made ever since those days. Now, let's look at this invitation for just a few moments as it's summarized in verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We see in this invitation in the first place that it is a broad invitation. Everyone, everyone, we see this, it's actually repeated. Look at verse 11. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Look at verse 12. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now notice in verse 12 he says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. What does he mean by that? What is he saying? Well, basically, while in Romans he has acknowledged the advantages that the Jews had because the prophecies were given to them, because the law of God was given to them, because God has made his covenant with and through them, he ultimately acknowledges that neither Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile, have any better standing with God because we all alike are sinners. We all alike have broken God's law, and we have all alike rebelled against him. And so that's why Paul says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, we could look at these representing a couple of different categories. Well, the Jews, their great pride was in their righteousness and that they knew the word of God and that they tried to live by it. 
In fact, that was a difficulty for them when Christ came. Many of them thought they had no need for a Savior such as Christ was. And you know, there are people like that today. There are people in the church, people who've grown up in the church, uh, whom God in His mercy has spared from all kinds of sins or difficulties in their lives, and they think, well, I'm really a pretty good person. Well, as Paul argues about the Jews, no, they too are alike in their sin. They too are alike uh, descendants of Adam, fallen, by, by nature rebellious against God. But what about the Gentiles? Well, the Jews certainly looked down on the Gentiles because they didn't have the law of God. They made no effort to keep it. They often live lives, if not of self-righteousness, then self-indulgence. And their sin was notorious. And for those Gentiles, they too would have a struggle with Christ, uh, just as many people today too. Well, you don't know the half of what I've done. You don't know what kind of life I've led. You don't know the kind of sins I have committed. The truth is, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, whether you've been raised in the church all your life, whether you've never set foot in a church before and lived in all kinds of sin, we all are sinners. We all are in need of Christ. But it's also true, as Paul says, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There is no one who is beyond the saving power of God in Christ. And so Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary, who are heavy burdened, who are weary with life, sick of your sin, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus offers a broad invitation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. The invitation is there. But notice in the second place, it's a conditional invitation. It doesn't say everyone will be saved. It says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, calls on the name of the Lord in what way? Well, as you look at that expression, call on or call upon in the Old Testament, it typically referred to worshiping the one true and living God or praising him. But even in the Old Testament, and certainly in the New, to call on the name of the Lord was language that meant to trust in Him, to believe in Him, to follow Him. Just one example, a couple of pages over, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Call to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. How is the church defined? Who are those sanctified in Christ Jesus? Who are those called to be saints? Well, it is those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has already elaborated on that. Just a few verses before our text in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he says in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice two things taking place here. One, that inner yielding to the Lordship of Christ, that heartfelt faith and trust in Him alone as Savior. But then the outward confession. 
We're not to be closet Christians. We're not in Jesus' secret service. We are to confess publicly that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have joined this church, you've done that. If you've been raised as a child in this church, they have become a communing member. There was a day when you stood and answered the vows for membership publicly. But it certainly goes outside the walls of the church. We who are Christians should not be ashamed to name the name of Christ and our loyalty to him to the world as well as the church. You see, this is a conditional invitation. You must RSVP. The favor of a reply is requested. Will you bow the knee to Christ? Will you trust in him as your Savior? Will you follow him as your Lord? It's a conditional invitation. It's also, in the third place, a needed invitation. Notice that last phrase. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, there are certainly many who don't feel the need of being saved. They feel like they're okay, they're doing okay, everything's just fine. That's an illusion. It is like being a passenger on the Titanic. Everything seems fine, you're safe and secure, and the next thing you know, there is a scrape and you've come to a halt, and your night is about to change dramatically. That's the position that we're all in. We are all, by virtue of our sin, under the judgment of God. Saved from what? Well, many present Christ as saving us from purposelessness or meaninglessness, and certainly he does that. Uh, Some people see Christ as saving us from leading a selfish life, and certainly he does that. But you see, dear friends, what Jesus saves us from is the judgment of God against our sins. You see, you will either pay for your sin in hell under the judgment of God, or Jesus paid for your sin when he died under the judgment of God at Calvary's cross as as the substitute, the one who took what you deserved that you might gain what he deserved. Ultimately, we're saved from God himself. God sent his own son that he might save us from himself, from his wrath, from his judgment. But save from that, save for what? Well, not just save so we can go on living as we please, go on doing as we please. I would suggest that anyone who has that attitude has never really experienced the salvation that Christ brings. But saved in order to be with Christ, saved in order to serve him, saved in order to be like him, saved in order to be with him in heaven forever. Anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice the certainty. Not might be saved. Dear friend, if you have trusted in Christ, if you are resting on Him tonight, you will be saved. In fact, you have already been saved now, and the fullness is still to come. But notice the certainty. Not may, not might, but will. Just like Paul and Silas, when that Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Not because of the strength of our faith, but because of the strength of our Savior. Christmas is tomorrow. Celebrate the day by all means. But remember that the day stands for so much more than toys and trees and tinsel. It's about God's loving us so much. 
and so desiring to save us from our sins that he gave us his only son. How silly it is to celebrate his arrival, but not receive him. Jesus, the Savior, invites you to know him, to have eternal life through him. The good news this Christmas, and every Christmas till the Lord returns, is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel, the gospel that is so beautifully and magnificently expounded in Romans, the gospel that we celebrate each December 25th, that you loved us and you gave your Son for us, that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. Father, we thank you, and this Christmas we praise you for the gift in your grace of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.